Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, as we approach this message today on the Great Commission, I just pray that you just help us not be so afraid of man that we don't step outside our comfort zone and declare your word to, to the people around us. I just pray that you help us all be bold witnesses for Christ and that you just open up the ears and the hearts of all those that we talk to. And we just give you the thanks and glory in all things. Amen. Please open up your Bibles to Matthew 28. And we're going to read verses 18 through 20. Matthew 8, 28, verses 18 through 20. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture known as the Great Commission. It reads, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What if I told you there was a disease that infected the entire world? Every single person in every nation has been infected by it. This disease destroys lives and has a 100% mortality rate. It may take a few seconds or a hundred years, but it will kill everyone. Thankfully, there is a cure for this disease. This cure is absolutely free and there's an endless supply of it. It does not take any special training to administer And it's so easy to administer that even a child could do it. Now, what if I told you that even though I know about the cure to this disease, I choose not to tell anyone about it? You would think I was some type of monster. But why? Why would I withhold this life-saving information? Because I'm afraid I might hurt your feelings if I told you about it. Or that the timing just never seemed right to talk about it. By now, you probably figured out that I'm really not talking about a disease. I am talking about sin. Sin is much worse than any bacteria, virus, or fungus. And the only cure for it is the gospel. As Christians, we know that anyone who is not in Christ will spend an eternity in hell unless he repents of his sins and trusts in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. But we often live in a way that denies that truth we so often fail to share the gospel. So let me ask you a few questions. Are you warning people about their condition and offering the cure? Or are you letting the fear of man prevent you from giving the one thing they so desperately need, the gospel? What are you doing to obey your king and fulfill the great commission that he has given you? This morning we're going to examine the great commission in five points. The context of the commission, the authority for the commission, the necessity of the commission, the command of the commission, and finally, the power behind the commission. First, let's look at the context of the commission. The disciples had been with Jesus for about three years. They knew he was the Messiah and were eagerly awaiting the day he would march into Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman occupation. Then in one night, All of their expectations were shattered as they watched Jesus get dragged away, crucified, and buried in a tomb. On the night he was crucified, all the disciples except for John did what they never thought they would do. 
abandon Jesus. Even Peter, who so boldly cut off a guard's ear in the garden, denied Christ three times to a young girl. They were terrified. They were brokenhearted. They were confused. Then on the third day, something completely unexpected happened. Starting in verse 1 on Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And the guards quaked from fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he has said. Come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with a fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and report to my brothers to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Jumping ahead to verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The commission that Christ gave to his disciples seemed like an impossible task. He was commissioning them to change the world. He was commissioning them to save souls through the proclamation of the gospel. Keep in mind that the 11 disciples were not the elite of society. For the most part, they were poor and not highly educated. But these were the men that Christ commissioned to establish his church. This shows that God uses everyday people to do amazing things. So was his great commission just given to these 11 men? Did it end when the 11th disciple died? No, the great commission is passed along to every church in every generation. Notice I did not say every believer in every generation, because no single believer is able to fulfill the great commission on his own. It takes a church, and each member must do his or her part. As a member of Christ's church, you have been commissioned do you, to do your part to help save souls through the proclamation of the gospel. Now let's move on to the second point, the authority of the commission. A commission is simply an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. A commission only has to be obeyed if the person who gave it has the authority to do so. For example, when I worked in the field as a paramedic, you would often get bystanders who would try to bark orders of you on the scenes of car accidents. You'd go grab a backboard, lift up his feet, or things like that. We did not have to listen to them because they did not have authority over us. On the other hand, if my captain arrived on scene and gave me an order, I obeyed it because he had the authority to give it. 
In this passage, we see Jesus establishing his authority over all things before giving his disciples the Great Commission. Verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So how did Jesus get this authority? It's a lengthy passage of scripture, but we need to read all of it. In Ephesians 1, 13-23, Paul proclaimed, In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sowed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is giving as a pledge of your inheritance unto the redemption of God's own procession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making the mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation in the full knowledge of him, so that you, in the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know that the hope of his calling, which are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints." And what is the suppressing greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all role and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Since they were familiar with the Old Testament, the disciples probably realized that they were seeing the fulfillment of one of Daniel's prophecies when Jesus proclaimed his authority. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, it states, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he came near before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not be taken away, and his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Jesus did not claim that he had some authority, He claimed that he had all authority in heavens on earth. That means he had absolute authority in heaven and on earth. That means his authority extends to every city, state, and country. It means that he rules over all men, regardless if they acknowledge his authority. Paul taught this truth in Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which all above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, through the glory of God the Father. The disciples were not shocked when Jesus claimed this authority. They had been with him for about three years. During that time, they saw him displays authority over all things, time and time again. They saw he had authority over nature when he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. They saw he had authority over the spiritual realm when he cast out demons. They saw he had authority over disease when he healed the sick. They heard him proclaim that he had the authority to forgive sins. 
They saw that he had the authority over death when he raised people from the dead and when he was raised himself three days after his crucifixion. But what does that mean for you and your role in the Great Commission? It means that you have the authority to share the gospel with anyone at any time. You do not have to first earn the right to be able to give the gospel to to, to someone. Jesus, your king, used his authority to give you that right. The question is whether or not you obey his command to use your God-giving authority to proclaim the gospel to someone who is lost. Now let's move on to our third point, the necessity of the commission. Why is the Great Commission necessary if Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth? It is necessary because the proclamation of the gospel is God's chosen means to save his people. In the Old Testament, people were saved by repenting of their sins and just trusting the Messiah who would come at some point in the future to make atonement for their sins. In our time, people are saved by repenting of their sins and trusting the Messiah who has already come and made atonement for our sins. And that Messiah is Jesus Christ. But this leads to a question that many people ask. Can the people in the remote tribes who never heard of Jesus or the gospel be saved? Some have argued that they can't be saved since people are only judged by the light they've been given. They claim that they can have their sins forgiven and spend an eternity in heaven without ever calling upon the name of Jesus. If this is true, that people who never heard the gospel can be saved, then we are doing more harm than good by sending missionaries to them. Instead of missionaries, we should be sending out people to build fences around their areas to keep them from possibly hearing the gospel and rejecting it. My friends, convincing yourselves that people can be saved without hearing the gospel may help you feel better about not evangelizing, but it goes against the plain teachings of the Bible. We see in the book of Romans that nature reveals to all men that there is a God and they are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... Both his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they came futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. For an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of the birds and the four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This passage clearly states that anyone who is not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ alone stands condemned before God. It is fair and just for God to do so because they have sinned against him and deserve to be sent to hell for their rebellion. But we serve a loving and merciful God who provided a way of escape. He did not provide a way to be saved. He provided the way to be saved. And that way is through the gospel of his precious son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the only way to be saved. And God has chosen us to bring his gospel to a lost and dying world. In Romans 10, 8 to 15, 
Paul emphasizes this truth and drives home the point that no one can be saved outside of the preaching of the gospel. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him would not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in richness, riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then would they call on him in whom they have not believed? How would they believe in him whom they have not heard? How would they hear without a preacher? And how would they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of good things. The fact that men cannot be saved outside of the gospel is why so many Christians have given their lives to bring the good news of Jesus to the lost. It is out of love for Christ and his people that men like Nate Saint and four other missionaries gave their lives trying to bring the good news of Jesus to the Wadoni people in Ecuador because they knew without Christ the tribesmen were lost and were facing an eternity in hell. I pray that all of us would be willing to sacrifice our time, our comforts, and even our lives in service to Christ. We might not understand it, but in His wisdom, God has chosen to use the proclamation of His word and the gospel to save men. What a privilege it is that He has chosen to use broken people like us to bring the gospel to a fallen world. As you can see, the Great Commission is necessary because it is the means that our holy God has chosen to save His people from their sins. Now let's move on to our fourth point. The command of the commission. Verse 19 to 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. Verse 19 started the phrase with with a phrase, go therefore. The word therefore grounds the great commission in the authority that Christ established in verse 18. It's not as clear in English, but the main imperative in the Great Commission is not to go. It is to make disciples. A disciple is simply someone who follows Christ. A disciple is someone who has repented of his sins and trusted in Christ alone for his salvation. A disciple is someone who has bowed his knee to the Lordship of Christ and lives a life of submission to him. A disciple is someone who makes disciples. And is someone who makes disciples in all the nations. And all nations mean just that. All nations. Including the one you live in. That would include your family members. Your friends. The waitress at the restaurant where you had dinner last night. And the stranger walking down the street. That would include people from England. Mexico. And Canada. However, it does not include people that we like. And places that are safe and easy to go to. All nations includes places of Afghanistan and North Korea where professing Christ can cost you your life. 
Now that we know we're commanded to make disciples of all the nations, how do we make them? First, we are told to go. Not all of us are called to become a missionary and move to a foreign land, but we are all called to make disciples. For most of us, that means making disciples as you go along with your daily life. That means living in a way that brings glory to Jesus' name and sharing the gospel to the people in your life. When it comes to living out the gospel, some people like to quote an old saying that's often attributed to French of Assisi that states, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. The, the quote sounds really good, but the problem is it's unbiblical and France of Assisi never said it. You must use words to proclaim the gospel in order to make disciples. I prefer how Justin Peters fixed this quote to make it more biblical. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They are necessary. Second, we're told to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But what is baptism? According to chapter 29, paragraph 1 of the 1689 Confession, baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to those baptized. It is a sign of their fellowship with him in his death and the resurrection of their being grafted into him of remission of sins and of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in the newness of life. Baptism is for disciples alone. In other words, the only people who should be baptized is those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. The first command that Christ gives a new believer is to be baptized. It is amazing to me how many people claim to be a Christian and have never been baptized. My friends, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is a foreign concept in the New Testament. If that describes you, know this. You are in sin if you profess the name of Christ and have not been baptized when you've had the opportunity to do so. Before we move on, it's important to note that baptism is one of the reasons why it takes the church to fulfill the Great Commission. The proper mode of baptism is by immersion and not by sprinkling. And since, since it is an ordinance of the church that was appointed by Christ, it should not be administered by just anyone. According to chapter 28, paragraph 2 of the 689 Confession, these holy appointments are to be administered only by those who are qualified and called to administer them according to the commission of Christ. Third, we are to make disciples by teaching others who God is, and what he requires of us. Christ wants mature disciples who study and know his word. He wants disciples who are devoted to knowing who he is and all about him. He wants disciples who grow up to make disciples. He wants disciples who can teach his word. In modern times, we have totally neglected this aspect of the Great Commission. Because of this neglect, it's not uncommon to find people who've been a professing believer for 30 years, who have little to no understanding of the Bible or, any, or anything about theology. So many believers are satisfied with milk and have no desire for solid food. And that is not a good thing. It is the very thing that led to the strong rebuke given in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles 
of the oracles of God, and ye have come to need milk and not solid food. Christ does not just want disciples who know and can teach all that he has commanded. He wants disciples who are obedient to those commands. A large part of discipleship is helping fellow believers recognize and kill sin in their lives. When we come alongside other disciples as they mature in their faith, we help fulfill the beautiful words of Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Now let's move on to our fifth and final point, the power behind the commission. Proclaim the gospel to someone can be scary, but thankfully Jesus ended his great commission with the comforting words found in the second half, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is here that we see the true power behind the Great Commission. The power behind the Great Commission is not found in the expensive evangelism courses you could buy on Christian websites. It's not in the well-scripted witnessing dialogues you might have memorized in an evangelism workshop. It's not found in the countless books on evangelism. It's not even found in the fact-filled apologetic arguments we may, may have spent hours studying. The power behind the Great Commission is found in the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is with you in his spirit. When Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, it was not a promise. It was a guarantee. The word behold can also be translated as low. It is a Greek word that is used to bring attention to something that is very important. When Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he's informing believers that he will be with them at all times and will never leave them. He will even be with you at the end of the age and beyond. The phrase, the end of the age, refers to the time when Jesus comes back to judge the world and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. That means you are not alone when you try to talk to your brother or the guy behind you in line about his, their need for the gospel. Meditating on the truth that Jesus is with us in his spirit will help you overcome the fear of man so that you can proclaim the gospel to those that you love and to complete strangers. But before we close, there's an important truth that we must discuss. Reflecting on the truth that the true power behind the Great Commission is Christ reminds us that we cannot save anyone. It is God who saves. But we have the amazing privilege of being his chosen vessels deliver, to deliver the saving message of the gospel. When we understand that, it is God who saves. It gives all the glory to God. It prevents us from becoming prideful and bragging about what great soul winners we are. It also helps us understand how God uses even our most feeble attempts to share the gospel. Whenever you share the gospel, you plant a seed or lay a foundation that someone else can build on. And God uses those attempts to save the lost. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9. to What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's filled, God's building. Reflecting on this truth that God is the one who saves reminds us that we are simply called to be faithful and to leave the results to God. One well-known pastor has said, The Christian call to evangelism is a call not simply to persuade people to make decisions, but rather to proclaim to them the good news of salvation in Christ, to call them to repentance, and to give God the glory for regeneration and conversion. We don't fail in our evangelism if we faithfully present the gospel and yet the person is unconverted. We fail only if we don't faithfully present the gospel at all. When it comes to evangelism, God commands faithfulness, not a quota of people that made professions. What matters is that you are faithful even if you do not see a single convert. Knowing that you are not responsible for the results takes the weight off of your shoulders. That means you don't have to beat yourself up thinking that if I just said it a different way, maybe my friend would have gotten saved. Now let's briefly look at 10 different ways that you can fulfill the Great Commission in your context. First, know the elements of the gospel. Often when you give the gospel to somebody, it's going to be in a conversation. So you'll be using your own words. You don't have to worry about saying something exactly the right way in the exact right order. But there are some essential elements that you want to make sure you include. You want to make sure you talk about their sin and how it condemns them before a holy God. But don't talk about sin in a generic sense. Talk about their sin and if needed, use the law to expose it. To expose it. Consider walking them through the Ten Commandments. You also want to talk about how Christ made atonement for sin by his death, by his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You also want to talk about how they can have their sins forgiven and spend an eternity in heaven if they repent and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Second, try to steer normal, everyday conversations into spiritual ones. Just about any conversation can be steered in a spiritual direction, which can give you an opportunity to share the gospel. One of the subjects you can steer into a spiritual one is COVID. It just seems about every conversation these days somehow turns to the subject. If the last year and a half taught us anything, it taught us that people are scared and people are being forced to look at their own mortality. If someone mentions how, they, how many people have died from COVID, you can ask them, have you ever thought about what happens when people, to people when they die? Then you can tell them about what you believe. If they, if they mention they don't understand why this is happening, you can talk about how disease entered the world due to sin. Then use that to transition how the, to the gospel and how God will make things right in the new heavens and the new earth. Third, share your testimony. One of the easiest ways to witness to someone is by sharing your testimony. What makes it so easy is that it's personal and there's nothing to memorize. But what should you include in your testimony? Tell them about your life before you were in Christ and how you got saved. Talk about how Jesus changed your life. As you share your testimony, try to keep the focus on Jesus and the work he did to save you and change you. 
Remember, though, even though it is your testimony, Jesus is the hero of the story, not you. Fourth, you can ask unsaved family members and friends to read the Gospel of John with you. The Gospel of John is very evangelistic and just puts a big spotlight on the deity of Christ. Having them read the Bible with you is a non-confrontational way to get them to read God's Word. Open up the Bible with them and let God's Word do the work. There is power in His Word. The Holy Spirit uses it to expose sin in people's hearts and to lead them to salvation. Hebrews 4.12 states, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Fifth, host a Bible study in your home or local coffee shop. There are many great Bible studies out there by people like John MacArthur and for the lady Susan Heck that are great tools to share God's word to unsafe family members and friends. There are even some really good evangelistic Bible studies on video, such as Christianity Explored, which is the Christian version of Alpha. Sixth, hand out tracts. Tracts are inexpensive booklets, pamphlets, small cards that contain a gospel message. The possibilities are endless for how you can use them. You can hand them out to strangers that you pass on the street. You can leave them in public places where you think people will find them. You can leave them on the table for a waitress. Just remember, a $1 million bill track does not count as a tip. You can stick them in envelopes with your payment when you pay bills. You can leave them on cars in parking lots. You can even slide into cases of beer at Walmart. Back when Rachel and I first got saved, this was 2009, the internet was not as big as it is now. So Living Waters, which is Ray Comfort's ministry, would take most of the orders by phone. And at the time, they had their company, their phone number on their tracks. And when I went down there for some evangelism training, they talked about how many phone calls they would get from drunk people complaining about the Jesus junk they found in their beer. And that gave them the opportunity to witness to them over the phone. Amen. So God used this track. Not only did they get to read it and hear the gospel, then they were motivated enough, they called Living Waters and heard it a second time. So God can use anything to do amazing things. And that barely scratches the surface of what you can do with tracks. Seventh, invite your unsafe friends and family members to church with you. Inviting them to church will ensure that you hear the word, they will hear the word of God preached and can be surrounded by a body of believers that can love them and witness to them. I know that some people balk at the idea of inviting an unbeliever to church since the church is for believers, and that is true. But it is only a problem inviting unbelievers to church when the church compromises in order to cater to the unbeliever. Eighth, look for ways to use the building that God blessed you to serve your community. One way some churches have done is to set up community food pantries where once a month, twice a month, the community can come in and get free food. And this opens up doors for the church members then to witness to people while they're meeting their physical needs and their spiritual needs. Ninth, financially support missionaries. Just because you cannot physically go to another country does not mean you cannot participate in foreign missions. The men who are called and to serve God as missionaries in strange lands can only do so if there's people back home financially supporting them. 
Just like Andrew Fuller and Seymour Pierce held the rope for William Carey, you can hold the rope for a missionary. Don't worry if you can only send small amounts. Any amount that you give glorifies God and helps keep missionaries on the field so they can preach the gospel and plant churches. If you don't know a specific missionary organization support, there are many good ones out there, such as the Heart Cry Missionary Society. Tenth, do not neglect the necessity of prayer. Despite its importance, we often neglect this important aspect of the Great Commission. But when it comes to evangelism, what should we pray for? Pray for God to open up the ears and hearts of the lost. Pray for compassion for the lost. According to Matt Slick, compassion is a necessary element in witnessing. It motivates you to speak, to teach, and to pray for others that they come into the kingdom of God. Compassion helps you to cry over the lost and to come to God in a humble request for their salvation. Pray for boldness to overcome the fear of man so you can proclaim the gospel without compromise. Pray that you will seize the opportunities that God has given you to share the gospel. Pray that he will raise up missionaries and for the safety of those serving in dangerous areas. My friends, do not underestimate the power of prayer. All ten of those ways will help you fulfill the Great Commission. But remember, you cannot do it alone. You need the church. In closing, I would like to leave you with the words of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unworn and unprayed for. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just come before you today. And we just pray that we take seriously the charge you've given us. To go out into all the nations and make disciples. I just pray that for some of the young ones in this church. That you just raise up pastors or missionaries or Bible teachers. We just pray that you just help raise up more bold witnesses for Christ. And I just pray for all of us in this church that we just become convicted of all the times we have not taken those opportunities you've given us to proclaim your message. I just pray that you help us all be more bold in our witnessing to our to the men and women around us. We just pray that you open up the ears and the hearts of those we talk to. And we just pray that you're glorified in it all. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.